What's up, my friend? So good to be with you. I'm really excited for this conversation because you are one of my favorite people in the world. And now I get to share one of my favorites with so many others. Good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> Can you please just like always hang around with me and introduce me to people yes, like that? Yes, That got would it. be great. Forever and ever. Or I'll just make a recording and you can play it when you walk <laughs> in the room. <laughs> Introducing Elise Bessler. <laughs> Love it. Um, yes, I'm really excited for us to have this conversation today. I know that you carry a, a level of expertise uh, around some specific topics that are going to be really beneficial to the people that hang out with me in this podcast, the Free Your Voice, Free Your Life podcast. And um, you and I have so much history. We go so far back, particularly around matters of the voice. And so my hope is today to just uh, reminisce a little bit and dig into the nitty gritty of what it is that you're up to now and what it is that you're working on as a voice and embodied leadership coach and yeah, bring people into that world. But let's go back to the beginning for just a second, because our origin story starts with somatic voice work, which people who listen to the podcast hear me talk about often. Um, mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about who you are as a voice user. Why did we meet there around this training uh, with regards to the voice? And how is that? How did that influence your trajectory, your path to where it is that you are now? Mm, yeah, great questions. I as a voice user, um, <laughs> you know, I first and foremost, am a singer. I um, sometimes forget to introduce myself that way. <laughs> Maybe the introduction, we could go back and say singer and voice and yes. leadership coach. Um, but singing has always been the thing. It actually is what allowed me to come out of my shell from being, you know, a painfully shy child. I, you know, used to hide behind my mom's legs with with the fear of having to say hello even to somebody that i knew and i remember being on stage with you know with other kids um as a young a young child and it really helped me come out of my shell and so i have such reverence for the act of singing because it was what allowed me to become you know more of who i was meant to be and still to this day it's it's ever unfolding um you know and and i you know, I studied, I wanted to study that. There was no question as to whether or not I was going to go to university to study voice. And then, of course, that naturally led me into, into working with other people and their voices as well. And I remember when it was time to, well, when it was time to, when I signed up for, for somatic voice work, I had never heard of Jeannie before. I just saw, you know, a, an advertisement for it. And I was like, somatic? voice work. Yes, sign me <laughs> up. Um, because I had been working with a somatic therapist for a number of years at that time. And anything with the word somatic, which, you know, means of the body, I was right. I was here for it. Right. And so that was how I that was how I came to, you know, Berea, Ohio. Is that how I say it? Berea, Berea, Berea? <laughs> I wish I knew. If anyone's out there listening, yeah, that sleepy us. little college town in yeah. Ohio, and Baldwin um, Wallace, yeah. Baldwin Wallace was <laughs> Baldwin Wallace University the training yeah. took took place. Um, but yeah, that that is how how I you know I, how I came to Jeannie's work, and then I mean the game changing aspects of of how you know I was able to incorporate that into my own voice, and then also into the folks that I was working with, um, just made a huge huge difference. Yeah, cool. I just remember, like, I I think that for so many of us that encountered 
those trainings early on, it was, you know, it was the somatic word that was enticing. It was this idea of approaching the voice from a, a, a posture of understanding the body better. But then you end up in there and you're like, oh, this is changing everything. This is shifting yeah. everything. And that's what's been so cool about our relationship, because the origin story is in that place. But we've both sort of been on this process of personal transformation and also aiding others in their journey along the way. And so we've been able to share in that joy of personal growth, but also in and in inspiring that change in others. And from the somatic standpoint is sort of the launch pad, which is anyone who's spent any time with me knows that I always do my best to start the conversation from the place of the body because, um, yeah, it's just the most objective truth that we have. And I know that you relate to to me in that regard. Tell us just a little bit about your journey as a, a singer personally. Like, so you, what kind of music did you make? What kind of music do you make? How did you, how have you been out in the world using your voice in that regard? Mm, well, I always, you know, I, I grew up loving pop music, mm -hmm. pop, soul, R&B. And, you know, my biggest influence were like Annie Lennox and Whitney Houston. And, you know, I just sort of was all over the map, but in, in that pop, pop zone. And I, you know, I studied at, at a jazz program. Yeah. Um, and so then that sort of brought in a little bit more of a bluesy sound for me, like, or the interest of, of going there. And when I graduated um, college, I recorded an album uh, when I was, oh my gosh, like 21, 22 years old. And that was the first, my first steps into writing music. And it was this, I don't know, I would say like a, a mix, a blend between soulful pop and, and pop. It was all done electronically. I worked with a producer in his home studio and in my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. And, uh, and then I didn't, mm. <laughs> and then I didn't, I had, you know, some notable, you know, some notable gigs and some, you know, I had some, some of the songs placed in some television shows and some, um, and some commercials and you know i for some reason I, I reclused back i shouldn't say for some reason i know the reason um i sort of reclused back into that shy not using my voice um there was a lot of fear around using my voice um i left my hometown i moved across the country to be with my now husband and there was this, even though I was working with other people and, and coaching other people to use their voices, I stopped using my voice yeah. for 18 years. It was a really, it was a good long time. And, and I remember going to shows and I remember even like when I would sing my, you know, my music or Scott and I would sit down with the guitar and write a, write a tune or two, I would cry yeah. when I was singing. I, re I remember that feel. it was, there was an ache, um, and a real sadness that I wasn't using my voice. Uh, and then it was probably, I mean, you know, I started doing all this work with the somatic therapist and um, becoming a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, more in tune with myself again. And I turned 40 in 2016. Mm -hmm. And Scott said to me on, on New Year's Day that year, he said, what are we gonna do for your party in nine months, you know, in September? And, you know, Virgos, we like to plan. And <laughs> I said, you know what, babe? I said, we're going to record those tunes and I'm releasing an album on my 40th birthday. And that was when it was at that point, it was kind of like she got her groove back. You yeah, know? Stella, bring and, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and the, you know, sort of when I say the rest is history, I mean, that just sort of began this next part of my journey for me. Um, and I'm really glad that I did it. 
you know, people say, oh, you know, you, you can't do things when you're when you're older. No, that's when my musical journey started. Yeah, that was when I was 40. Yeah. And so many people are listening right now. I mean, I think this is a really like I'm so glad you're sharing this with us because it doesn't matter how far you traveled early on in your journey with your voice. There's still this possibility of retreat. There's still this possibility, you know, because life shows up, things happen, experiences happen, responsibilities occur, you know, some of the advantages of youth start to uh, dissipate. And then we can find ourselves caught in a loop, caught in a spiral that feels like it's pulling us away from our passion, our love, our sound, our music. And it's not uncommon. I want the world to know that it's not uncommon for people that teach voice, that for people that work with the voice to lose track of their voice. And it's in fact, I'd say it's quite easy because when one is focusing their attention, their efforts on supporting others, it's easy to get lost in that. But I think that um, we often have the habit of telling ourselves that our story is somehow unique, that we, you know, we're the real loser because we didn't stick with it. We are the one that didn't follow through. We didn't have the courage and look what other people are out there doing. But I'd say that this is a really, really common story. And actually it's a really, really beautiful story to encounter. It's, it's kind of become the type of person I really love to work with in my work, because if you've had it in the past, you know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is yeah. to be a singer. You know what it is yeah. to call yourself a singer. So when it's missing, you there's just an ache within you until you find your way back to that in some way. And I love the 40, the 40 year old album. It's such a beautiful um, moment in time to be self-reflective and go, okay, here's what's important to me. So what's the name of that album? Can people listen to it right now? Yes, it's called, it's a, an EP. So there's six songs and it's called Lean In. Awesome. And that one is on Spotify. And then I actually recorded a, another full length album two years after that. So, and that one is called Truth. Beautiful. And really just, yeah, really just a narrative to essentially that part of that time in my life. You know, this sort of showing up and, and being bold and uh, both of those are on make this decision to record an album you make that happen um all the while you are coaching others with their voice teaching others about their voice training your voice to do things um but things continue to shape and shift and evolve so take us into your continued journey both as a singer as a coach why does it continue to shift and change after the album yeah it's once i you know i mentioned that 18 years um that i lot. Well, I didn't lose it. I mean, I was discovering more about myself, but I, when I started working, you know, in somatics or when I started working with this therapist, I recognized that the reason I stepped away from it or that I felt like I couldn't step up to the mic proverbially, um, was because I was having a trauma response. I was having a nervous system response and, you know, without going into the details of childhood trauma, 
which, you know, I think to some degree, we all experience trauma, yeah. regardless of whether or not it's big T, little T, um, and our bodies organize around that differently. And so I became so interested in what, like the why behind the reason we don't show up. Yeah. The why behind the reason we don't feel safe to use our voices, whether we're, you know, speaking, setting boundaries, or whether we're wanting to step up on stage and, and share our music. Um, and so it was then that I recognized, like, I'm not the only one, right? Yeah. Like you said, there's all these, you know, these these colleagues of ours that have a similar story. And for the folks that we work with in our own studios and in our own our own bodies of work we we all have similar outputs and I, when i say outputs it's like protection yep. right there's a reason why that all happens and so i just became so interested in in what makes us tick in that way and that was what allowed me to sort of evolve into the other coaching that i do as well cool and we're going to get to that in a minute but i think that this is one of the primary reasons that you and i have connected so deeply is because we just always knew that it wasn't just about singing Mm. that the singing was the actual yeah. catalyst for the change like the singing was the point of inquiry the singing was the curiosity the singing was the showing up but it was also the understanding of what it means to show up and when we say show up it's like actually grab the mic right yeah. <laughs> like literally you said, the hello i am yeah. here the proverbial mic and the physical mic like being willing to do that and uh and also i think too like when you are teaching and coaching along the way you start to recognize patterns in others and you see the ways in which those might be playing out in your own life or have played out in your life in the past. So yeah. it's quite significant when you're able to connect the dots and find inspiration in that. I know, you know, I know so many people I've worked with over the years have, have truly inspired change within me just in witnessing the change within them. So yeah. it's really powerful. So I think the cool thing about observing you is that now it feels like you've landed in like a certain level of mastery around some of these concepts and ideas and maturity and how it is that you're speaking about them. And even, you know, we were kind of like teasing and joking before we got a uh, hit record here, but that your title is this voice and embodied leadership coach. And you're like, that might change, um, which I love, like, Ladies and gentlemen, Elise Bessler will pivot, pivot, <laughs> pivot, pivot. And it's awesome because you're always sort of following the breadcrumbs, always following the flow, always following the alignment. But this voice and embodied leadership coach moment right here, right now, what does that mean? <laughs> Ooh, okay. I'm having a nervous system response. I'm going to take a moment to, <laughs> I'm like, that's a big question. Yeah. What does that mean? It's. You know, voice will always be a part of what I do, whether it's, you know, and I still work with with singers, I still work with artists. And I also recognize, as you mentioned, like voice is the point of inquiry, like voice is the piece that that brings people into my orbit. And so putting voice in the title is important yep. to me. And embodied leadership to me is like if we're. OK, the word embodied is what we can dissect, right? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? And yeah. to me, it means that we're aware of the sensations that lead the charge, right? Our bodies come before our brains mm. when we're born, when we grow, when we evolve. And it's also the operating system of our body. Yeah. And so to be embodied means that we're aware of what's happening in our body as 
the operating system. And so embodied leadership to me means that we can lead in our lives, in our work <clears throat> with the folks that we're supporting with the awareness that, uh, you know, that our bodies are leading the charge and that we then will cause, and I, you know, you and I've talked about this before, but we're able to hold space with a more trauma-informed lens. And I think that's important, especially in leadership, in coaching, in any time where we're supporting other people in their own transformation, we have to be able to uh, know what's going on in our own bodies. Great. Yeah. That's yeah. really clear and awesome. And yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think that today you and I are going to use some terms that people will likely have heard um, and might not know exactly what they mean. And I think embodied is one of them. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that if you're, <laughs> I don't know, sometimes I suspect that what the algorithm is feeding you and I, it might not be feeding everyone else. Uh, yeah. But in my <laughs> algorithmic, you know, uh, Instagram world, embodied gets thrown around a lot. Also yeah. trauma informed gets thrown around a lot. And so I want to unpack, like you just did a beautiful job of, of explaining embodied to you. What does this trauma informed lens mean? Like when you think mm. about that in your work and in your own life, because the other thing, sorry, before I, I'm talking too much, but the other thing I wanted to say too, is the other thing that you and I have in common is we have worked with a lot of different systems. We've worked with a lot of different people. We've had a lot of different experience and we've shared about that. So when we talk about something like being trauma informed, it's not just from the lens of being a coach, but actually from you know, having received services from others who have helped guide us into healing and transformation in our lives. So yeah. from your lens and your perspective, what does trauma informed mean or what can, what should we expect from that? I believe that trauma informed means that we approach any of our communication, any of our relational connection with others, whether it be in our personal or professional lives with the understanding that we have no idea what has happened in that person's life before we're having that mm. particular conversation. And to be trauma-informed means that we have an awareness of, again, I'm going to go back to our own bodies and how our own bodies can affect somebody else's experience. Like if I'm triggered, for example, by someone or by someone's share, to be trauma-informed means that I'm going to, I'm going to rectify that within myself before I respond to them. Right. Um, and that is so that we don't further drive their responses and or make them feel like there's something wrong with them. Um, because you're right, we have had, you know, many teachers and I've also had teachers that have not been trauma informed. Yes. Yeah. And I've walked away from those coaching sessions and those teaching sessions feeling like there was something wrong with me. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, you know, there's there's a way for us as as, you know, in relation with others to have the awareness that, you know, 87% of adults in North America have experienced some sort of trauma in their life. Mm. And so when we're having conversations with people to remember that and keep that front of front of mind in front of body, we can cause less harm. Yeah. I love the phrase you used earlier, like how it gets organized in our body, how the experience gets organized in our body. And I think that makes like just from a system standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. And if we talk about, you know, particularly in the work that I'm doing around some functional vocal training, we often talk about it, coordination as being mm -hmm. the central nature of what it is that we're doing. And if we think about coordination as the ability to organize something differently, <laughs> yeah. you know, to change the organizational structure, uh, 
that's really beautiful because it honors the inherent nature of what it is that we've experienced in our bodies. And the wisdom of the the trauma, <laughs> like yes. the wisdom of the experience that our bodies are having around that event or whatever yeah. you know, we've experienced in our lives. Right, because ultimately trauma, the response that we have is a wise protective mechanism. It's a a, a, a means of gathering safety. And I don't know, like we talk about, I, you, this is again, you hear people say like that wisdom piece, but if you really just stop and think about it, if you stop and think about this, like the, at a subconscious level, something that you might not be, have even had, you know, specific awareness around, there was this mechanism within you that was determined to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> like, so cool so cool yeah. uh what gets tricky is when it no longer serves us and we're you know <laughs> showing up yeah. still trying to survive but we might not need to any longer which maybe is a nice little segue into the work that you really think about or how it is that you see the work that you're doing now if you were to talk about that um in light of this in light of these terms yeah explain a little bit more about that yeah, I think I I right now I'm developing and you know moving into this next phase of my own work in that I want to I'm you know in human design I'm a I'm a manifester. Mm -hmm. And I've learned recently I went to I went to a retreat a couple of weeks ago and and I learned that that means I'm a fire starter. I think you're a manifester too. Yes. I think we've had this conversation, but it means that I'm a fire starter. And, and that, and I believe that, and I think that's why I pivot so much mm -hmm. because I get this idea and it's like, I, you know, I used to think, well, don't follow that idea <laughs> because you don't know enough about that idea. But I, I really believe that I'm, I'm meant to start a fire and, and teach and, and teach people how to become trauma informed in their own coaching work. Mm. And right now it feels you know, it's so expansive for me because I can see how how this work is supporting other people and the aha moments and the light bulb moments that people are having, like fellow coaches are having in their own bodies and then taking that to go and, and share with their own clients um, and the people that their family members too, their children, their partners. Um, and so I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I think that like the next so, direction for me is you I set like people I on fire. So I set people on fire. No, I'm just teasing. I set people on fire. But yeah, I think the next the next direction from this current, you know, this iteration of my work is is that it's that I'm meant to I'm meant to share it with others and I'm meant to share it so that people can understand it um, for themselves and then, um, you know, perpetuate this positive change. Um, in, in the coaching world, because it's, it can be toxic, right? Yeah. It can be, it can be toxic. Cool. So, um, and just if anyone doesn't know, human design is a, like a, a archetypal system for understanding oneself. It's similar to Enneagram and, uh, you know, astrology and uh, Myers-Briggs, all of these sorts mm -hmm. of ways of taking a test and understanding some archetypal features that you might have. But yes, I too am a manifester. <laughs> we are manifestors. Um, Okay, so practically speaking, if I'm in a coaching with you, and I know that you don't just work with coaches, you work with all different types of people who want to be maybe more free to be public with who they are, be seen, show up in situations where they felt fearful of 
in the past. Practically speaking, what does that mean? Like, what do we do? What are we doing? Are we singing? What's happening? Sometimes we sing. Uh, it depends on, it depends again on that entry point. That's why I said voice, voice is still important in my title because it's something that I want to always be working with. Um, but yeah, I'm working with physicians. I'm working with public speakers, radio, radio personalities right now. Um, so we always start with the nervous system and awareness. And, and I have to like with a caveat that it's not always safe for people to feel bodily sensations. And so asking the question, where do you feel that in your body? Or what is your body telling you? Or listen to your body is actually not super, we were talking about trauma-informed, that's actually not super trauma-informed because for some folks that doesn't feel safe. Um, but essentially the way I begin is I, I share nervous system regulating tools um, and we test, we actually physically test um, the body to see if there's a positive outcome. And when we use those tools, like 99.999% of the time after we've used the tool, that person or the client will feel it in their body. They'll feel a difference. And then we'll go and sit and sing the high notes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh my God, like, listen to that high C. Like I was able to get that where I wasn't able to get that before. Um, because a lot of tension that is created in the body, and this is something that I learned with the, the most recent study of the nervous system that I did, is created by at a nervous system level. And so when, when we can regulate that, then I mean, the world's your oyster. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. So let's give people um, some nitty gritty deep dive education around this. Cause I think this is where uh, people are really going to benefit from hearing your expertise in this area, nervous system. So most of us know, have heard of fight or flight response. Um, most of us know generally what that means to feel like triggered or activated, but there's a whole system of understanding and learning called polyvagal theory. If you haven't, um, haven't heard of that before. It's a, a system for understanding how it is that the nervous system, um, again, like we said, organizes our experiences and our, uh, our traumas or our excitement or our emotions. Uh, but tell us more, give us a quick breakdown of get, get, give us polyvagal theory 101 in the simplest form. <laughs> Pretend we don't know anything. I don't know anything. Sure. I mean, the 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 most simple way that I can describe this, and I'm sure if Stephen Porges or Deb Dana, who are like the two main teachers of this theory, heard me say this, they'd be like, eh, they probably don't listen. Simple. <laughs> they, well, they probably don't listen. But, but um, you, you know, essentially, our bodies are always looking for safety. Our nervous system has a hierarchical system. There's three different states. There's the safe state, which we know as regulation or the way it feels when it feels safe to speak up or it feels safe to be around and be ourselves and be authentic. Um, and then we have that sympathetic uh, mobilized energy, which is the fight flight energy. And we all know that um, it's not all bad, by the way. I mean, we need that energy as well, like when we're dancing or when we're, you know, going hiking or swimming or anything like that. So but there is that that middle area and that lives sort of right, right around the diaphragm and the heart area and then uh we also have this this state which is like a collapse state and we know that as like depression we know that as not being able to get out of bed um, we know that as frozen not mm -hmm. being able to speak up right and so basically 
this is the the simplest the simplest way I can describe it, that our bodies are always trying to get to that safe space, the nervous system. And typically, if we're not regulated and we don't have regulation tools, we'll waffle back and forth between the mobilized and the collapsed energy. And that's what keeps us in that sort of anxious collapse, anxious collapse state. And um, the thing about the vagus nerve is that if we're talking about it in the voice, um, you know, in the aspect of the voice, it actually makes the vocal cords vibrate. And so when it's not toned, when when that part of the nervous system isn't toned or not regulating, well, we've got vocal tension, we've got the throat closing up, not being able to speak up, we've got shaking happening. Um, in our voice as well. So, you know, that's the best way that I can describe it really simply. There's obviously way deeper, um, you know, we can dive way deeper into it, but essentially, yeah, our bodies are always looking for safety. I love that because that's the opposite of what most of us believe most often to be true. Like you hear about fight or flight response and you, you, you think about that as your body trying to, or maybe your body making things more difficult for you. It's like, oh, I can't get this under control. Like, you know, this body is really messing things up. My knees are shaking. My armpits are sweating. My, you name it, whatever it is. And to just have that reframe of like, this is your, uh, uh, your body's attempt to move back into safety. I think that's a significant shift. I also just wanted to say though, for anyone who doesn't know, the vagus nerve um, is a bundle of nerves, essentially that begins at the base of the skull and the back of the head. And it's, travels the vagus means traveling in latin uh but it travels throughout the body down to the base of the spine essentially where touching all of these uh, uh, organs and systems that happen automatically so things like breathing and things like your heartbeat and things like your digestion and and so that's why the vagus nerve would be um connected to your sound and there's an automatic nature to how it is that you're making your sound anything that happens in your body that you're not thinking about happening that just is sort of like uh an uh, happening on automatic response the stuff that happens while you sleep too (laughs) like that's a good way to think about it like what's happening with me while i'm sleeping well your heart's beating your breathing your food is getting digested your liver all of these different things are happening the vagus nerve is partially or not partially is responsible for those things and those are also the areas that you experience somatically when you feel triggered. So yeah. if you feel, feel fearful, whether you're mindful of it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you know that if, you, if I asked you right now to think about that from a somatic perspective, you might know the feeling in your stomach. You might know the pit in your stomach. You might know the speed of your heart. You might know the clench of your throat. You know, you, like I said, the sweaty palms, the shaky knees, the armpits, it's all connected to that that sort of automatic automatic and in in, um nervous system stuff the term that gets used is autonomic Um, Mm -hmm. but that refers to the automatic nature of the the nervous system so if i'm sitting with you and we're in a session and we're doing the tests like what does that mean what do those look like yeah so you know i think to to add to what you were just saying there as well it's you know the the our brain, the way our nervous system and brain work is that our body sends signals to our brain and our brain interprets them. And so if those, those signals of fight flight are uh, perceived as a threat, then our brain will create 
what I call protective outputs, and I mentioned that earlier. And this comes from a neurosomatic intelligence uh, point of view, and which is the certification that I just finished. And I tell you, like, that's a game changer to understand that it's what really helped me understand that those signals are not of, um, you know, are not bad, like none of them are bad. Mm. The collapse state is not bad. The fight flight state is not bad. It's how our brain is perceiving it, right? right? And so these drills that I that I teach and that I use myself are essentially, you know, a way to create felt safety in our body. So when we're about to, let's say, step up to the microphone, right? Let's say we know our throat always closes up. Well, we actually specifically use um, exercises that target the nerves and the muscles around the throat to help release them to send a signal of safety to our brain so that those muscles and those nerves release and it makes speaking a little bit easier mm -hmm. right and then <clears throat> when i say we test it i mean we usually test by turning our neck from side to side like actually if you did that right now and just turn your head from side to side and hopefully the folks that are listening will be doing this as well you may notice some tension right and then if we do an exercise where we'll do a straw breath, are you okay if I do an example? Yeah, please, by all means. Okay, yeah. So let's do an example of a really quick, this is a really quick vagus reset exercise, and it's just a short inhale and a long exhale through pursed lips. So let's do it together. We'll breathe in for two counts mm -hmm. and then breathe out for six. And then we'll do it one more time. Breathe in. And breathe out. And then notice, did anything change? Turn your head again from side to side. And notice if anything shifted in the way your neck feels. Yep, it did. And so because like you mentioned, so the vagus nerve exits our brainstem, that's what we're targeting. And that's why we test there, right? Yeah. So FYI, if anyone's listening that works with anxiety, that is one of the best ways to, to tone down anxiety, whether it's performance anxiety or just like generalized anxiety. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, essentially we do that. And it's not just vagus nerve that I work with. It's like all the different cranial nerves because um, they, are the first you know there's there's inputs into the brain from all of the nervous part the nervous system parts of our body yeah cool that i don't know if you've ever heard of um that is very similar similar to what's called the physiological sigh which there's mm -hmm. a there's a, a video with uh andrew huberman that i would recommend people look up that talks about the exact specific science of the physiological sigh which is this thing that happens um naturally like when you're done crying and you go, <sighs> uh, and uh, it's a natural mechanism, natural response within the body to alleviate stress and tension. And so you can duplicate that experience in the moment. His the only shift of difference in what you did is that there are two inhales that you do yeah. a quick inhale and then another sip and then mm -hmm. the slow exhale. But I've used this often in my mm -hmm. own life when I start to feel the tension or the constriction creep up yeah. and how it is that I'm feeling. Um. Okay, so then I, I turn my head and I blow air. Then what happens? Like, <laughs> how does that change anything for me? Why does why does that matter? So essentially, what's happening then is there's felt 
there's a there's a different felt sensation in the body and i mentioned earlier that the body the nervous system is the operating system so if those signals are coming to the brain from the body it's like we're we're creating better quality leads right okay essentially what we're doing and and the reason we practice these you know daily or for you know for my clients before we do their singing work or their other work in in our sessions the reason we practice these daily is to create a greater capacity to be able to sit with challenging situations so it's like changing the signals essentially right when the signal of safety is coming from our body to our brain our brain isn't going to perceive it as threat right because let's be real when we're having triggers usually it's not that there isn't because of course there are situations when we are in danger yeah um but typically when we're have you know when we're feeling triggered by something or someone it's we're you know we're using or there's something that's happening around that organization of trauma from before right in our body right and so this this helps to expand the capacity to be able to sit with challenging situations to step up to a microphone to set a boundary like all of those things it just becomes a little bit easier when our signals are coming from our body to our brain of safety yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense i feel like it's just setting oneself up for more success in confronting whatever it is that they're trying to confront and i also think that there's this like at the heart of this matter is the story right? Like that the story that follows the experience, like, and then the way in which we proliferate the story, because we keep having this experience, and it validates what it is that we have created mm -hmm. to be. And this is like going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. hold the phone, like, take a beat, take a minute, take a pause. Let's see what's actually true here. Let's see what's really uh, going on. I wonder if you might share from your own experience, how turning your head and breathing <laughs> I'm totally razzing you and teasing you, but like, <laughs> like, how do you use that? Or how has it created change? Like, are there any specific situations or circumstances? What's happened with you? Yeah, I, there's a, I actually, there's a full vagus nerve reset that I do that goes literally from the base of the skull down to the pelvic floor. And I do it every morning. Beautiful. And I oftentimes will do it more times throughout the day, but essentially what happens for me, and, and of course it, it changed the more I did it, right? The more often I did this, is that my body feels different. And I don't know if there's any other way to describe that, but I have more capacity. I'm less triggered throughout the day. I, you know, will see my husband's pile of magazines sitting mm -hmm. on the table and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't trigger me in the same way as it would before. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of the podcast, um, The Maintenance Phase. It's a really, really great podcast, but she talks about, um, this concept in in that podcast bitch eating crackers and it's like mm -hmm. oh yeah there's that bitch over there eating crackers like everything that person will do is gonna just bother you so i could like there could be a bitch over there eating crackers and it won't bother me you know what i mean right. so it creates this this greater sense of ease in my body um and then also things like my digestion have improved my own anxiety levels have improved and this is the really cool thing my people pleasing has diminished mm. And that's because people pleasing is a protective output, right? It's a behavioral behavioral protection. And so when I'm more regulated consciously, like I choose to be more regulated, I have that greater capacity. Um, so those are some specific things for me um, that that support. And then I also see it, you know, in my clients when I use when I use those exercises as well. 
Great. Yeah. So concrete and, and really relatable. Let's talk more about the people pleasing thing. What, yeah. what has that looked like in the past and how does that differ from now? Yeah. I mean, I think like, it's okay. I just want to clarify, like it is okay to want people to be pleased. Like it's okay to want to please people. Um, but for me, it was really toxic. Um, it kept me from like being myself, you know, I would abandon what, who I truly was in order to avoid conflicts yeah. um, with, you know, personal and professional relationships. I mean, the about, oh my gosh, when I first started my business, I think you and I have talked about this before, but dang, like there were no boundaries. I was like yeah. always bending over backwards. And then of course it led to burnout. Yeah. Um, and so for me now it's, I'm able to end, I still do sometimes toxically people please, but I will be able to in the middle of it. And this is part of the capacity thing to recognize what's happening. It's kind of like being in the eye of the storm and like seeing all the stuff flying around you. And then I oftentimes would be able to make a different choice. Mm. And sometimes I've even said, you know what? I think I was actually in a, like a people pleasing mode and I'm working on that right now. What I really meant to say was this. Yeah. And that to me, like before there was like a, that was a hell no for me. Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider doing that, but yeah. Uh, you know, having a more regulated nervous system has allowed me to, to be able to have more autonomy, um, or to, to own that, to claim that for myself. Yeah. Cause I always had it. I think it was just a matter of, you know, it's a matter of not giving it away. When I think that so many people, when they say something like finding their voice, that's what they're talking about. Like that's yeah. the goal is like feeling, finding yourself. It doesn't have to be a people pleasing situation, but finding yourself in any situation where you feel like you're not able to express yourself in a way that feels true, that feels authentic, mm -hmm. that feels aligned, that feels connected. And what you're saying, which is, you know, exciting is that you can start from the ground up to understand this. Like you can understand yeah. this in a much more, it's, it doesn't have to be so, um, energetic even though it is energetic but mm -hmm. it can start from the physical it can start from the objective and the energy can move out from there and i think that that's that's really revolutionary it will be revolutionary for a lot of people yeah well and i think too like you know we live in a culture that prioritizes brain first mm -hmm. right and also prioritizes fixing fix it strategies and so I think what's happening and my algorithm is the same as yours, <laughs> but I've seen some really like alarmingly harmful things come up in that algorithm in the, in the last couple of weeks where people are like, you know, fix your problems with nervous system regulation or, you know, I saw weight loss, you know, commercial an ad for weight loss using somatics and nervous system re regulation to lose weight. Here's the thing, nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight, but like when we start using our nervous system work as a way to fix ourselves, we're actually bypassing the purpose of nervous system mm. regulation, which is not to fix, but to befriend, Ooh. right? Yeah. Like we're not trying to change anything. We're actually just trying to befriend those natural processes that happen in the body and then rewire those signals of safety to our brain. But Elise, I don't want to befriend my nervous system. I want to change. How do you help yeah. me do that? So <laughs> I'm so glad that you asked. I mean, change is scary, right? It's scary as fuck. Yeah. And, and it, it is perceived as a threat 
by our brain, especially when we're talking about beliefs and habits and um, in mindsets, you know, and I think that when we again, and I'm going to use this, you know, like kind of shrouding that change work in felt safety, there's different signals coming to our brain and it makes the change much more like it's lasting right because mm -hmm. you know i don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've worked with someone or you've done your own mindset work and you're like yeah okay my mindset has changed and then like four hours later you're in the corner you know in a ball shaking again or you know maybe that's a bit dramatic but you know the the inner critic thoughts will creep up or the imposter syndrome will creep up and ultimately those are derived of a dysregulated nervous system and so the more we can create safety around that change work, the more lasting the change will be. Yeah. And the other thing that's coming to me as you're saying this right now is that ultimately it's our responsibility to create that safety for ourselves through developing yes. these skills. Like no one is going to create the safety for you. You have to, yeah. and that's where the autonomy comes in. That's where the freedom comes in. That's where the capacity to make choice. That's where the capacity to rewrite the story comes from because you've taken ownership over this experience like you've really yeah. stepped into you've you've become the leader of yourself uh yeah. which is which is really cool and powerful yeah and i think and you and i relate to each other in so much in this regard and again we know this from firsthand experience that the fast change that everyone wants that we've all wanted that i've wanted that we all want it doesn't stick <laughs> it doesn't stick it's the incremental change over a period of time now I don't know what the increments are going to be. I don't know what they're going to be, but that, that incremental awareness is just how humans develop and grow. And you always look back grateful for the increments. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. go, Oh, I had to know that to know that, to know that I had to know this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I just think about like that in terms of like really being aligned with the message of your body. Mm -hmm. Like if I like, for instance, Let's just imagine a hypothetical. Let's say I've never performed in front of people. And then I felt really inspired to um, audition for a reality television show, competition television show. <laughs> this is entirely hypothetical. I've never met anyone that wanted to do this. Um, my chances of being able to stand in my body in that situation are not great. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> because I haven't taken these sort of incremental shifts and changes to even know how it is that my body responds to being in front of people, let alone a situation that's of this high stakes and this priority, uh, this high, you know, level of, of opportunity and so forth. And so this is why, you know, as humans, we have to really look at the context of what it is that we're hoping to achieve and trying to achieve. And it's not about like, like, I'm not saying like get real here. No, there's magic. Like magic can happen, but yeah. it has to be entered in through this state of, I love the word that you said, befriend, friendly awareness yeah. to, you know, to use my meditation language, loving kindness, like this, <laughs> this affection toward what it is that your body has to offer, this affection toward the information that you can gather. And also I'm obsessed with the idea that the signals aren't bad. No. Like if we can maybe even think of them from a place of neutrality, mm. like that their fundamental nature is maybe neutral, you know, mm. like that they're, that they, they're just offering us cues, like just the most fun, curious clues. Um, yeah. To me, that seems like it opens up a whole new realm of possibility. It's really interesting with you. 
Yeah, well, I, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because one of the very first things that a lot of my clients that I work up work on with a lot of my clients is taking out the moral value of nervous system responses or even thoughts, right? Um, and an understanding that those responses are that's actually your brain and your body doing their job very well yeah they are keeping you alive that's what they do they work in cahoots with each other and they're and they're working very very well and so when we can we can reframe that yeah from a place of like oh look at that there's my brain doing its thing again right there's my body doing its thing again how smart and cool you know i have this awareness of it right yeah and for me the like the I think a lot of times we hear that and we feel like it's like a resignation, like resigning to it. And when you actually find yourself able to respond to that, it's fun. It's fun because you go and then, you know, what happens next? You start to see it playing out in other people and you start to get more compassionate about their experience. You go, you know, I was just at a concert the other night. I've said this on the podcast before, but I just got asked the question. I was at a concert the other night and someone said to me, is it hard for you? to go to concerts and listen to other people sing and you know my answer is no i (laughs) love hearing other people (laughs) sing and actually i don't love to hear other people struggle but i'm always curious about their struggle you know like it's not it's not offensive to me it's not irritating to me it's not annoying to me if anything it's an opportunity for me to step into compassion and curiosity about their experience and that's that's the gift of knowing yourself better yeah I think that when we know ourselves better on this level, like this level of the operating, you know, system of our body, we're also able to, and you, you mentioned it, like be curious. And, and I think as coaches, as leaders, even just as partners and parents to hold space for other people in their experiences. And also then there's a, you know, an idea called co-regulation, right? Mm. So when we're in that place, we are also able to help other people get to that place as well. Right. So when we feel safe, we can allow other people to feel safe. Mm. Can you speak more to that? So what does that, like, what does that mean? So if I'm around someone and they're just like losing it, (laughs) like you're saying that I can influence the outcome for them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, barring somebody having a, you know, a psychotic break. Right. right? Okay. So I just want to say I'm also not a psychiatrist, but, but I know that, you know, when somebody is having an actually Scott and I, my husband and I have a really, a really interesting phrase that we use with each other. If we need to vent about something, we just say, do you have five minutes? Mm -hmm. Because I just, I need five minutes. Do you have capacity for five minutes of me just going off the handle? And it's really helpful (laughs) because that context is helpful. But when somebody doesn't ask us for five minutes and is just like having a time, we can use our own presence, our own breath, our own nervous system regulation and our own state to help them feel a sense of safety and come to a place of regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see it in kids. I mean, I, my stepkid was 10 when I met them, but I see it with toddlers all the time. Like, parents that respond from a place of trigger or like more like up you know (laughs) assertion back towards the kid is just going to really help the kid 
kind of ramp up their experience. Whereas if a parent is calm, the kid will then become calm. Right. And ultimately with this work, Davin, we're just going back to first nature, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're going back to us as children with our parents. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I think, I don't know if that, if that helps, but that's really what co-regulation is. Yeah. Is the ability to be able to. I'm just thinking about walking down the street and with my dog and someone else with their dog and their dog starts freaking out Mm -hmm. and them going, stop it. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always just have to giggle at that because I'm like, (laughs) it never works out how they want it to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but we do that with other people all the time. We we freak out because they're freaking out. But the opposite is possible and true. And I think, too, like, you know, for anyone who's seeking any sort of coaching, whether it be with me or Elise or anyone like knowing this to be true, knowing that someone can be in your presence when you're freaking out and that you feel like you leave that better, yeah. you know, trusting, trusting that. Because I think a lot of times we leave certain situations feeling worse and we assume that just must be the way that it has to go. Like that, that just must be a part of the process. And it's like, no, someone who's really in their body, someone who's skilled, someone who's masterful and and their own understanding of how it is to regulate themselves, how it is to teach what they teach, how it is to coach what they coach. um, They can really set you up for a lot of success and feeling like you can do more than you originally knew that you, you could in a difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah. And the opposite is true too. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I think of some of the voice teachers that I had back in the day where, you know, all I felt was shame. Yeah. <laughs> I walked away from those sessions. It was, it was not great. Yeah. I mean, so many, well, think about any teacher, think about in school or, you know, even therapy, like people have these experiences yeah. in, in therapy. And again, it's going back to that trusting the wisdom of your body. What is your body mm. telling you about the situation mm-hmm. and how can you honor that as true and respond accordingly? Yeah. Um, okay. So, do I have to be a coach or a leader to work with you? You said you like work with a doctor, like who, who's best suited to do this kind of work? I say anyone who wants to better understand themselves so that they can, you know, they can show up in the world the way they really truly want to, um, is a, an ideal client. Yeah. The folks that I'm mostly working with are people in leadership roles. Right. So the the doctors, the physicians that I'm working with are, you know, they're in teaching roles, they're teaching residents, they're, you know, in in that sort of situation uh, or in like ER rooms where Mm. they have to be very, very clear and have very clear communication. Um, And then, you know, public speakers, folks who, you know, folks who really want to be show. I use the word authentic, but just like showing up as themselves and not feeling like they need to put a mask on. Yep. and and so yeah I, you know i say actually i had somebody reach out to me about my program that i'm that i'm starting in a few weeks and she said i'm not a coach or a leader but could could i benefit from the nervous system work that you're yeah. doing and i'm like yeah i mean it's it's marketing right <laughs> marketing yeah. towards coaches and leaders but it's like insert family member here right and you know and you and you've got it so yeah essentially essentially anyone who wants to wants to learn more about how to how to regulate your nervous system so you great and tell us about ass. the tell us about the program that you're launching yeah it's called the embodied leader incubator mm-hmm. and i'm calling it an incubator because it's like you know it's it's three months of what i'm calling radical support for cool. um for folks to to understand a little bit more about themselves and and learn become nervous system literate 
right? So that they can now understand when they see other people going through stuff, really kind of what state they might be in and then how they can support themselves through that and also the other people. Yeah. yeah. Great. Put on their oxygen mask first exactly. so that they can put on the other yeah. people's. Um, before I'm going to ask you to tell us where we can find that. Before I do, though, I want to finish this out with just asking, where are your growing edges? Like, where do you want to continue to grow around this work that you've found yourself doing hmm. on a personal a level really or great, a professional yeah. level? Yeah, on a personal level, it's going to be that continued uh, discovery around my own personal trauma and my own personal, you know, lived experience that I've had. Um, just like better understanding it and, and holding it in more compassion. I think that's a real growing edge for me, for a lot of people. Um, and then also to be able to continue to bring it to the world. Yeah. And, and I think that I can do that best by yes, doing the work that I'm doing, but also by, and I just, I had a little heart palpitation by, by being creative yeah. and by writing my own music and singing, you know, I mean, there's that to me is, is a way that that's still going to be a growing edge for me, even now at 47, mm -hmm. seven years after the, the release of the 40, you know, the 40th birthday CD. But I think that's going to continue to be a growing edge for me to continue sharing that part of my, myself. Yeah. I love that. And I want that for, for you and from you and anyone who listens to your album is going to want more more of that from you too because i do you know you said something at the very top of our conversation here that again is is an idea that i try to continue to proliferate that like something in you knew from a young age that singing was like the path mm -hmm. and i just i just know that you don't escape that <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter. Like people always end up needing to come back to that in some way, shape or form. And again, there's no expectation or no specific outcome around what that is, but it's like finding our way back. And again, that ultimately is returning back to this sort of no, this known part of ourself, that essential part of ourself, the truth of ourself, the thing that feels most, most real, most authentic, most, yeah, most us. And so, yeah, it's beautiful, really beautiful. And I think, you know, for me, just to answer my own question, as I think about this work that you're sharing about in my own life, it's like, I um, am a firm believer in, you know, the realm of infinite possibility. And I just want to be able to routinely meet all of the exciting uh, possibilities with increased capacity you know it's mm. like like just i just want every bigger thing that comes my way every new thing every exciting thing every difficult thing to show up to just be like i got this like i know how to meet this i i i can feel this um actually before before i really uh close things up there's one thing i think is really important that i wanted to ask you to speak about with regards to the nervous system how do we know the difference between being excited and being scared or how do we know when we're going on stage and we feel stage fright if it's good or bad useful or not useful like what's how do what, how do i even start to think about this yeah what, it's a great question because our body doesn't know the difference between the the sensation of that feeling right? right it's it's actually the presence of threat so to be excited like so if i win a trip to i don't know if i win a trip to 
I was going to say Florida, but I'm like, I don't want to go to Florida right now. But if I want a trip to like, whatever, Mexico or something, and I get that jolt of excitement, right? That's the same kind of jolt of excitement or excited, sympathetic, mobilized energy, if you will, that my body will, will create if I'm witnessing something really scary, right? So the difference is the thoughts that it produces. Yes. So if your brain knows that you've won a trip to Mexico, right? And I love my Florida people, by the way, I, I, there's the people pleaser in me. I have to go back and apologize for what I said. But, you know, like I know that there's there's a there's a something really tangible and exciting on the other end of it. Whereas if I'm witnessing something really scary or I'm having an emotional flashback, my brain knows that there's something that wasn't joyous that happened. So that's the difference. Right. Um, and the difference between rest and then being in a collapsed state is that the same thing there's like a the thought that's produced is different from the signal right. so hopefully that i mean hopefully that's supportive but you know i mean our body it really does feel kind of the same in our bodies but right. it's like you know standing up on stage with a microphone versus winning a trip to, yeah <laughs> to mexico you know is it's a different there's a different um there's a different challenge there yeah and when you haven't had the experience you can only connect it to the things that you know which yeah. then might not actually be the truth of how the experience will unfold or needs to unfold so yeah there's this this need then to step in with curiosity and go like yeah mm. what's this really about so, yeah. awesome well at least i'm gonna wrap this up here i really really am so grateful for you and grateful for this conversation and i hope that people just feel a little bit jealous listening to me that i get to have these kind of conversations <laughs> regularly with you because they're so rich and so yeah just so so fruitful in terms of my understanding of myself and how it is that i feel inspired to work with others if people want to know more about you and work with you where do they find you yeah you can find me on instagram at elise bessler you can find me on my website elisebessler.com slash links will tell you all the things that i have going on right now any sort of supportive free resource and any programs i have uh running or or um, about to run and i also have my own podcast called the embodied leader and you can find that on spotify and apple as great well. and i'll link up to all these things in the show notes okay my friend big kiss big hug love you bunches until next time thank you